Well, hey, it's great to be back with you. Jane and I had uh, uh, a good time away, and uh, it's always good to get back into your own bed, right? Sleep at night, and uh, but that doesn't minimize. We had a great time away, and it was and it was good. But glad to be back here with you folks here this morning. You know, a lot of years ago. Um, when Jane and I were close to getting married, I had to find a place for us to live. And I was finishing up college my senior year and uh, living out in Iowa and uh, needed to find an apartment or something. I had no idea. And I was looking all over town and uh, making phone calls and stopping at apartment places and duplexes and not kind of like today, not able to find anything, uh, nowhere to live, nothing was open. And uh, I, I came to work one day. My boss said to me, hey, Glenn, you look a little down. What's the deal? What's going on? I said, well, I, I can't find anywhere for us to live. It's just I don't know what to do. And I've been all over the place. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So uh, he went to back office and uh, about 15, 20 minutes later came out and handed me on a piece of paper an address, 201 Southwest Linden, apartment 12. Was that right? Yes, one, 12. And, uh, and, and I, 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 it just sticks in my head. And I said, Dave, I've already been here. He said, now, I just talked to my father-in-law. Now, back in the day, his father-in-law owned half of the town that we lived in and had built the other half. So he handed me that address, and I'm like, I've, I've been there. He said, just do what I say. And go there, talk to the manager. When you uh, see him, you tell him Dave Hoover sent you. That was my boss. And I said, all right. So I went knocking on the door. I was sure the guy was going to say, hey, kid, what's the matter with you? College students don't know. You don't understand what no means or whatever. I was thinking, oh, I don't want to do this. But I, I did what my boss told me to do, knocked on the door, the apartment and the manager's place. And he opened the door and and said, yeah, how can I help you? He said, well, listen, uh, I need an apartment, a place to live, and I was told to come here. He said, oh, no, no, we, we, we don't have anything available. And I'm like, see, I knew it. And I said, well, but Dave Hoover sent me. And he goes, oh, well, hey, come on in. In fact, uh, sit down here at the table. You're looking for an apartment. You're getting married, right? I said, yeah. And, and, and he, he said, let me get a lease. I said, listen, I, I don't have a, my checkbook with me. I, I wasn't prepared for this. I, he says, hey, don't worry about it. Any friend of Dave Hoover's is a friend of mine. And I'm like, whoa, we sat down. And I left that place and had great news for Jane. And I learned that day, like I'd never learned before, that it's not what you know, but... Yeah, exactly. And as I thought about that, most of us would acknowledge that that statement is true most of the time, right? Not necessarily always, but... Given our recent emphasis on the importance of the Word of God, we talked about that in so many different ways, um, and how it is important to what we believe and how we live, it's critical. Uh, you might think the statement, it's not what you know, but who you know, would sound like a contradiction to what we've been talking about, to what we've been looking at in the Word of God. And I do hope 
you understand, as we've gone through all of that, how easy it is to get a whole lot of knowledge, to get a whole lot of content, to get a whole lot of the what, right? And at the same time, still not know God, the who. That's critical. It's real easy. And we've just been talking, you've heard it any number of times this morning, the importance of the Word of God and the Bible study opportunities. We, we have that second hour here for you to learn and, and to be challenged and to grow in your understanding of the Word of God. But again, it's not just for content. It's not just for what, it's for life transformation, life change, so that ultimately we come to know God in a closer, more intimate, personal way all the time. Now, maybe part of the problem with that what stuff is that we know facts. We know about God, but don't always really know Him, right? It's one thing to know about somebody. It's another thing to really know that individual. And that may be true as well. I believe that it is as it relates to our understanding of who God is. I want to refer to an A.W. Tozer quote. I think we've probably used this uh, any number of times over the years. Um, But in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, this is classic. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the church, uh, the gravest question before the church is always God himself and the most portentous, and I put that so you would know what that word means. If you don't, I had to look it up. Uh, Momentous, ominously, significant. That's what that word means. The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. If you've never read that book, I would encourage you. The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. It's excellent it will help you gain an understanding of God that you may never have had before because he takes you right to the word which tells us about God. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea because anytime we begin to talk like this, somebody's going to say, oh, so you're saying Bible study, Bible knowledge doesn't matter. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's critical. That's how we get to know God. But I'm saying this morning that sometimes we focus on content rather than life transformation and rather than a growing understanding of who God is and coming to know him that way. So this morning, I would ask you, what do you conceive God to be like? In your heart, deep in your heart, as Tozer challenges, what do you conceive God to be like? Or let me put it another way. How well do you know God? How well do you know God? I didn't say how much do you know about him. How well do you know God? 
didn't take me long when I got to Bible college to uh, put my eyes on Jane and uh, begin to figure out how I was going to get to know her. And, and I knew that would take some time and I would have to, I could learn all kinds of facts about her, but that wasn't what was going to help me to understand if she's the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I had to get to know her, not just about her. Folks, the same thing is true with our relationship with God. We must get to know God, not just the facts, not just the content about him. We must get to know God. The Bible identifies a man who knew God well, and his name was Moses. In fact, at the end of Moses' life, when God buried him, we don't know where that is, but at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34, and you could look at uh, verses 5 to 10 and really see what was all involved, but uh, we read there in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse five, or 10, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, here it is, whom the Lord knew face to face. This isn't the only time that we, we see that statement made about Moses. But that is exactly how, thank you, Joe, but that is exactly how God describes his relationship with Moses. Moses is a man who knew God well. And as we'll see, he was passionate about knowing God. And this morning, if you're going to faithfully serve God, you must have a passion to know him. You see, we talk about compelling reasons to serve God. You've been hearing for the last number of weeks. You heard this morning reasons why you ought to serve God. And all of that is, is absolutely correct. But the, the motivating factor, the compelling bottom line foundational truth is because of who God is. We said that a couple of weeks ago. We serve because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But when you know God, and when you know him well, and when you're growing in your knowledge and understanding of who he is, you can't help but want to serve God to a greater degree than before that knowledge increased. That's the compelling truth. If you're going to faithfully serve God, you must have a passion to know him. Remember, it's not what you know, but who you know, and we must know him. So please open your Bibles with me this morning to Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to look at uh, just a, a brief uh, couple of verses uh, about Moses and his relationship with God, and again, I want you to hear me, what you know matters, it does matter, it's important as it relates to you coming to a greater knowledge and understanding of who God is. But if you don't really know God, you will not be motivated to serve him. It's just that simple. And if I was to identify what I would consider to be the, the greatest need amongst God's people today, the greatest need in the church today, I would say it's that we really come to know God. Not just the facts, 
not just all the stories, not just all the, 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 the truths that we can gather, not just the content, but that we come to know God. And I believe that that is a diminishing thing in the church today. We are becoming less and less knowledgeable of God and therefore not as close as we need to be to Him. Exodus chapter 33, as we uh, begin there in verse 1, the thing about that we have to look at, the, the importance of chapter 33 is that it follows chapter 32. You say, wow. I came all the way here this morning to hear that great truth. Well, because in chapter 32, if you uh, would read back through it, you'll find out that Moses and Joshua had gone up on the mountain to receive the law from God. And while he, they were up there, uh, Aaron, who was Moses' brother, the high priest, was leading the nation of Israel into idolatry. They got a little impatient. They didn't know what had happened to Moses, why he was so long at the top of the mountain. And the people convinced him as the leader in charge to make a golden calf, and they worshiped that. Idolatry is what we called that. And that idolatry led to immorality. That's, that's not an uncommon pattern for it to happen. And that's exactly what happened. And then God had to send Moses and Joshua back down the mountain to deal with the people. That's chapter 32. Uh, God was not happy with what Israel had done, with what the Jews, with Aaron and uh, Moses went down and let them know that. We're told in verse 35, and the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Verse 1 of chapter 33, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised. That's what was going on now. They, they had been... Uh, given their freedom from bondage and slavery under Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They got held up here a little bit. Now, God says to Moses, okay, it's time. Get moving. And he says, verse 2, I'll send an angel before you and drive out all the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But look at this. But I will not go with you. Whoa, wait a minute, that was a change. Things were different now. God had been leading them every step of the way, every foot, every mile. God had been there. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They moved. They are on the way to the promised land. And now God says to Moses, I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked, rebellious people and I might destroy you on the way. Well, you can imagine Moses' reaction. Verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Wow. So then we have an account of how Moses talked to God and how 
He encouraged God's people to talk with God. Verse 7 tells us Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling the tent of meeting. Now, when the whole nation of Israel got on the move towards the promised land, what would happen here is that they would, they would get moving with the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire. When, they, when it stopped, they stopped. They set up camp. They had very specific, detailed instructions on how that was to be set up. And then Moses, we're told, would set up outside of camp a tent of meeting, a place where they could go and talk with God. Now, as we see here, that's what he says. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each one at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, we just saw that in Deuteronomy chapter 34 at the end of Moses' life, how, how he was given uh, that, uh, that was descriptive of Moses and his relationship with God. We see it again here when, when Moses was going to that tent of meeting, we see that the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. My question for you is this morning, how much of a friend of God are you? How well do you know God? I, not know about God. Knowing God. And so as we look this, this morning, I want you to see in the passion in Moses' life, the passion that allowed him to know so, God so well. What drove him? What motivated him to, to get to know God? What was it? that moved Moses in his relationship and knowledge of God to the point of knowing him like a friend, as the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Well, uh, the first passion that I see is right here in verse 12. So we find about the ten meeting. It's set up. Now, I believe verses 12 to 18 and beyond are, are an illustration of one of those times when Moses would go out to the tent of meeting and talk to God. And here is what I believe is happening right here in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, he's, I believe, in the tent of meeting. That's why we find there was time taken to describe what went on with the tent of meeting. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. That's what God told Moses about Moses. He says, you have found favor with me. I know you by name, Moses. And Moses says, if you are pleased with me, he, again, he's talking to God. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, we've been given the information already that God had just told Moses, get going, lead these people to the promised land. Just understand something, I'm not going with you. That had to eat at Moses' heart as the leader who had been totally dependent upon God. And that's why he's there in the tent of meeting, I believe. And he's saying, Lord, if you're pleased with me, 
You say you are. Teach me your ways. Show me your way. What is it you want? Uh, one commentator says it this way. You've given me a job to do, but left me at a loss is how I'm supposed to go about it. Another writer said this. I know you by name is tantamount to saying I have singled you out or I have chosen and selected you to lead these people. You're special, Moses. And, and Moses is wanting to know, okay, if I'm so special, if I've found favor, God, you've got to tell me what's going on. You've got to teach me your way. You've got to show me. I believe he was saying, show him God's will and direction. God, what are your intentions? What are your plans? What are your guidance? What is your will for my life? And that's it. The first thing, the first passion there is a passion to pursue God's will. That was true of Moses. He had a burning passion to know the will of God. Not just because he needed to know what college to go to or he needed to know what car to buy or he needed to know the answer to this question or to that question or like we typically many times, we kind of relegate this will of God thing to just answers to questions for our lives to make it more comfortable. Oh yeah, we know it's supposed to be true of us, but we don't think of it as a means of coming closer to God. That's what Moses said if you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you. He wanted to know more about God. He wanted to know God's direction so that he could know God. And in John chapter 7 and verse 17, I learned years ago, I remember... Uh, being taught this by our pastor when we were out in the Chicago area and he took, and I'd never seen this verse before, but if you would read the context, you'll, you'll understand, but this is what uh, we read there. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You see, uh, Jesus had been questioned by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders who were always in opposition to him. And they were saying, how do we know what you're saying and what you're teaching is really from God? And he says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out, will know that my teaching comes from the Father. And I believe that's the bottom line principle. You want to know the will of God for your life? You've got to be willing to do it. I think typically the biggest problem in knowing the will of God in our lives is we're not willing to do it. We want what we want. We look at the will of God as one of many options. Uh, here's what my mom and dad might want, or here's what my wife or husband might want. Here's what my boss might want, or here's what I want. And then, oh yeah, over here's what God wants. And, and we look at these options and figure out which one do we like the best, and that's not the way it works. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether the teaching is from God or not. And I think there's got to be a willingness to do the will of God if you want to know the will of God. As you move on through John, and you would find out, and I listed some verses there for you, John chapter 14 and uh, verse 15. In fact, a number of verses there in John chapter 14. Jesus says this, If you love me, in verse 15, keep my commandments. 
Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. You see, a willingness to obey is an indication of a love and pursuit of God. That's what Jesus is saying. If you move over to chapter 15 and verse 13 of the Gospel of John, we read this. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus is saying, I make known my will to my friends. Who are his friends? Those who love him. Who are those? Those who obey him. And for years in youth ministry, as we worked with students, one of the things that was always, what's God's will? What's God's will? I want to do my own thing, but what's God's will? I'd like to have a little idea. And it's like, no, you have to be willing to obey. And when you're willing to obey, God will make clear what it is he wants you to do. His will for your life. It's a matter of obedience. Verse 14. Back in Exodus chapter 33, the Lord replied to Moses, Okay, Moses, because what he was really... I need you to go with me to show me your way, God. And verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But Moses wasn't done because there's another passion that burned in, heart, in his heart. It was a passion to experience God's presence. Not just to know God's will, but to experience God's presence. In verse 15, back in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, and we read this, verse 15. Then Moses said to him, again, talking with God, if your presence does not go with us, Notice, plural, do not send us up from here. Back in verse 14, how did the Lord reply to Moses when he was, God, show me your way, teach me your way, help me to know what I'm supposed to do, how am I supposed to, what's going on, what's the direction? And, and it was God says to him, hey, my presence will go with you, singular, you, Moses. That wasn't good enough. Moses says, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, who's the us? The nation of Israel. We need you, God, he's saying. If, if you don't go with us, not just me, with us, I'm not going anywhere. Verse 16, why is that such a big deal? Why does God care that Moses goes with, or that God goes with the whole nation, not just with Moses? We read verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? But Lord, it's not just about me. We need your presence. Why? Because how else are those around us who know or don't know God going to see his presence 
in our lives if they don't see the obvious and evident presence of God. The single greatest distinguishing factor between those who know God and those who don't is the obvious and evident presence of God in your life. So I have to ask you again, do people who know you see God in you? Do people see God in you? How do those who don't know God know that we do? If they don't see him, if they don't hear him from our lips, if they don't observe how we live our lives and go, man, something's different about you. What in the world is true about you? And the answer is, it's God. It's God. Is anybody asking that question of you? In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter says, hey, you ought to always be ready to give a, a reason for the hope that you have. But the question to that verse is really, is anybody asking? We ought to be ready to give an answer of the hope that we have. The question is, is anybody asking? When they look at us, are they seeing the hope that we have in God? Folks, I don't have to tell you that we live in an in a, in a unbelievably hopeless culture and world today. A, a culture of fear and hopelessness more than ever before, I think. It would appear that way. And we have hope because we have God. And when we know him, it just oozes out all over the place. Do people know we know God. How do they know we're different if they don't see it? People around us need to see the difference that Christ makes in our lives. There's a great, a great account in, in, um, in Acts chapter 4. You can look through the context, but in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested for healing a lame man. And uh, they're standing before the Sanhedrin and they're, they're talking about who Jesus is, and they, they say there in Acts chapter 4 and in, in verse 12, they say this, neither is salvation found in any other name other than that of Jesus. And they go on and say, because there is no other name under heaven given to man by which you must be saved. They're proclaiming the gospel as their kind of standing trial before them. And then, they, and then we read this, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders who were questioning who they thought they were, why could they heal that lame man? And this is what they said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wow, that's amazing. Now, I realize that is a physical presence. But because for those of us who know Jesus Christ today, because we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, because we acknowledged our sin and recognized that Jesus went to the cross, he died in our place for our sin. And when we believe, when we by faith say, I believe I'm a sinner and that only Jesus Christ can forgive me, 
Not my good works. Nothing I can do or say is going to make the difference. I believe in what Jesus did as the only means of forgiving my sin. And when that happens, we are saved. Our lives are transformed. He takes up his dwelling in our place. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all live within us. And when that happens, what, what happens is they see the difference that the presence of God makes in our lives. That's what the Sanhedrin noticed. They saw the courage and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus had made a difference in their lives, the way they acted, the way they talked, everything they did. Is that true of you and I today? That's why Moses had a passion to experience the presence of God. And look at verse 17, back there in Exodus 33. Exodus 33. In verse 17, we read there that God responds, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Wow. And then we get to verse 18, and we're going to stop there because the passion there is that Moses had a passion to discover the glory of God. You see, God answered Moses in verse 7, but Moses wanted more. He didn't just want the presence of God with the whole nation. He didn't just want him with himself or the whole nation. He wanted to see. He wanted to know. He wanted to discover the glory of God. When you know somebody well, you talk to them differently, right? When you know God well, you talk to him differently. See, that's why Moses could go into the tent of meeting and talk to God face to face, we're told in Scripture. This is true of, of, of individuals all throughout Scripture who knew God well. Abraham, you could go back and look in, Ab- in Genesis chapter 18. We just referred to this a few weeks back when, when uh, Abraham kind of played let's make a deal with God. Do you remember? When he was asking God to, to not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because Lot and his family were there. And he started at 50. God, if there's 50 righteous people, will you spare those cities? God, if there's 45, if there's four, all the way down he gets to 10. God, if there's 10 righteous people, would you spare? Yes, I will. And of course, we know there weren't. But when you go through and read how God, or Abraham was talking with God, how he was praying, God, come on, how about 50? How about 45? How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? How in the world? God is a holy God, the God that they were afraid of and, and because he wasn't going to go and God says, I might destroy you on the way and there was that fear and, and it's like, how can Abraham talk to God like the holy almighty creator? Why? Because he knew God. In fact, James chapter 2 and verse 23 We read, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called, who? Abraham was called, what? 
God's friend. See, when you know somebody well, you talk to them differently. I say things to, Jay, to, to Jane today that if I'd have said 48 years ago, we probably wouldn't have had 47 years of marriage. <laughs> right? Why? Because I know her. Because she knows me. When you know somebody well, you talk differently. That's why sometimes when we pray to God, we don't hardly get anywhere because we don't know God well enough to talk to Him well. You can talk to God about anything. You can pray to God. Have the conversation. But the more you know God, the deeper, the more intimate, the more personal, the closer your conversation is going to be about things that we may say, man, who am I? I'm talking to the almighty, holy God, creator of this universe. What in the world? Who am I? I'm nobody. You're nobody. But when we come to know God by faith in what Jesus Christ did to forgive our sin, we come to know him. We talk to God differently and he said show me your glory that word glory means weight means to be heavy now if it was in the 60s Moses would have been saying hey God that's heavy right (laughs) Moses wanted to know how heavy God was He wanted to know the weight of all of the character and nature of God. He wasn't satisfied to just have the answer that God's presence would go with him and the nation of Israel. He wanted the weight of the character and the nature of God. He wanted to know God. He wanted to experience his mercy and compassion and all that God had. He wasn't going to settle for any less than all that he could get from God. God, show me your glory. And God did. And God did. Really, Paul said the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. It was Paul's desire, his passion, when he said, I want to know Christ. He didn't say, I want to know about him. He said, I want to know Christ. That's what Moses was saying. So in light of what I've just, what you've just heard, what do you need to do today? As we wrap this all up, in light of what you've just heard, as you sit there and say, think, in light of what I've just heard, what do I need to do? Are you operating in the center of the will of God in your life? Is the presence of God obvious and evident to everybody and anybody who would see you and watch you and listen to you? Do you have a desire to know the fullness of God's character and nature, to know him in your life? That's what will make the difference. That's what will motivate us. Oswald Sanders said this, every one of us is as close to God as he has chosen to be. 
You see, sometimes it's real easy to think, well, man, those people are really close to God. There must be something special about them. God must have his hand on them in some special, unique way. And, and yet, no, no, no. Everyone is as close to God as he has chosen to be. He or she has chosen to be. And folks, it's up to you how close you want to be to God, how well you want to know God. So how well do you know God? How well do you know God? somebody were to ask God that question about you, what would God's answer be? How well do you know? How, how, hey, that Glenn guy, God, how well does he know you? What would God say? How would God answer that question about you? Maybe you're here today, I have to ask, do you know God? Do you know God? You know God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes all of this possible. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin. And when we believe, we are forgiven and we become the dwelling place, the living place of God in us. When by faith we believe that Jesus died in my place for my sin. Do you know God today? It's interesting, all of the things that we say a person has to do to be saved, but you know what Jesus himself said when he was praying to his father? Just hours before he went to the cross, John chapter 17, Jesus said this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you. Not that they pray a prayer but that they know you. That's what Jesus said, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Do you know God today? Let me ask you this, what do, what or who, do you talk about the most? If you really know God, it's got to be him. What do you or who do you talk about the most in your life? You see, we talk about the things that matter the most. We talk about the things that are important. We talk about the things that are central to our being. To when we really know God, we can't help but talk about it. My question, do you know God? How well? Are you passionate about him? Moses was. We're going to start next Sunday a, a seven-week series on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know him as your shepherd? Let's pray. Father, God, we need you today. And we're going to sing that in just a minute, but it's about knowing you and who you are and all that you've done for us.
eternal life, knowing you are God and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Father, I pray that if any here today who don't know you because they've never acknowledged their sin or their need of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them, I pray, God, that you'd open their hearts, bring conviction of that sin, and cause them to see the love and forgiveness that Jesus has offered through his death on the cross. God, for those of us here today who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but may have settled for just knowing about you, I, I ask God that you'd burden our hearts to not just want to know the facts and the content, the answers to the questions, but God, that there would be a burning passion in our hearts to know you. And as we know you, God, motivate us to do all that you've called us to do for the glory of God, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.